0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, turn in your Bibles, would you, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, because I want to share this with you, that because I'm sharing with you what I believe a Jesus church is supposed to look like, Um. If, if you remember right, I, I started this last week. If you, if you weren't here, maybe uh, listen to the podcast, not just because I feel so, like I'm such a great teacher, I just, you might be a little lost today without it. But in Revelation 2 and 3, each one of those letters was written specifically to seven churches, okay? That, that's true. Like today it would have been like, hey, here's the church at Nolensville, the church at Cane Ridge. It wasn't like then, like they had I Heart Spring Hill, right? And hey, I just moved to town, what church should I go to? And like 400 people, uh, because there's 400 churches. It was just like the church. That's the only church it was. So here's the letter, you know, to this church and to this church and to this church. So these were seven letters to these seven specific churches. Okay. There are those who believe then that they also represent a, a, an, uh, an epic in church history. I am one of those. I think that that's a fascinating thing, that each one in the order that they are in represent a moment in church history uh, that is ongoing even until today, each one. Uh, obviously, the letters themselves spoke to the individual churches who got them. Uh, each church also not just got the one little letter, but they got all seven letters, so it represents all. And it says, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you and me. And what I was really struck by for the first time, and I, look, I read Revelation when I was a kid. I've, I've read this book. I was a weird kid, but I, I read it when I was like 10 and 12 and was just fascinated by it and studied it and have taught it before. And I'd never seen this before. I had seen the fact that each letter starts with a sentence that is a description from chapter one of who Jesus is. That I had seen before. But what I'd never noticed was you could sum up each message in one word, okay? And that if all seven of those words are present in one church, that is a picture of Jesus in your church, one of the seven, each of those represented in your church, that is a Jesus church, You've got the fullness of who Jesus is represented in these seven letters, and it's the fullness of who we are as Jesus followers. Not that if I get these things on the list that Jesus will come. Don't hear me say that. This is not if I work hard enough then I can get these seven things done. This is if I've got Jesus in my life and I have a relationship with Jesus, these things just naturally happen in my life. And and follow me on this. The first one, Ephesus, darling, speaking of love, that's the first letter to the church. And what is love? It's about marriage, right? It's speaking of the love. And if without love, there's nothing. First Corinthians 13, you can speak with the tongues of angels. You can be martyred, but without love, it's nothing. And what do you do when you love somebody? You do anything. You're faithful to them. I love my wife a lot, right? And you know what I do with my wife? I'm just faithful to her. I, I, some days I do better than others, but I'm just, I am faithful to my wife because she loves me not to check off the list of things. Obviously, because I don't know about y'all, but sometimes my wife makes a list. Does, does any of y'all's wives make lists? Right? <sighs> right. So Now, for my wife, for her own list, she'll, she'll like make a list. Sometimes she'll be doing something, and then she'll actually make the list of the stuff she just did just so she could check it off. Now, I don't get any pleasure from that at all. I don't even understand that. But my wife likes the list, so she'll write a list. But I don't do the list, right? I'm just faithful because I love her. And then there are some things that I, that I would do on the list just because I love her. And that's the message to Pergamos, which, which is purity. There's just things that I won't do because it's not pure and it would not be faithful to my wife. That's not a burden. That's just what you do. And how do I know what's pure? How do I know? Well, I'm gonna to need to know the truth. I've met a lot of families in the last 10 years that have blown their lives up doing things that they thought were fine to do, but they weren't true, and it blew their marriages right in half. Because they thought, well, I can get a in a world where anything goes, in a world where if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad, in the words of the great poet Cheryl Crow. <laughs> in that world, anything goes doesn't really work. Not in marriage. And purity is important. And the way that I know that purity is important is from the truth. That was the message to Thyatira. That's what I know is true or not. The word of God tells me what is true and what is not. And that's... That message to purity is I'm not going to do this and the way I'm going to know what is right and what is wrong, the way that I'm going to know what is pure and what is impure, the Bible is my lead and my guide in that, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That was the message to Thyatira. And by the way, when you are speaking truth in a culture that doesn't buy into truth in general, it doesn't always go well. I don't know if you've noticed that lately, but that's not, by the way, new. When Paul wrote Romans and Romans 1, you think they cut his head off just for fun? He was peeing in their Cheerios, man. This is like this is not working for me. Like I've got all this fun stuff I'm doing, and you're saying it's all wrong. It made him angry, and they executed him. I'm sorry, there are children. There? I thought this was the 11:30. Uh, um, but the point is, is, that they made him angry. It wasn't like this is my like what's happening right now is not new to to history or to society. And so in Thyatira, Jesus, his bronze feet in the fire, speaking of Ananias, not Ananias and fire, wrong one. It speaks of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fire with Jesus with them in judgment, speaking out, speaking out truth in a world that doesn't embrace truth. Jezebel doesn't go quietly, I'm going to be with you in that. That's what the truth is for. That's the promise to Thyatira. And now the last three churches. And that's what we're going to talk about in just these few minutes that we have. Because if you have Love and faithfulness and purity and truth, that's awesome. But without what Sardis needed, what did Sardis need? The next one, chapter three, verse one. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit. He says to them, I know your deeds. You've got a reputation of being alive, but you are dead Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. The, the idea of a church that is alive, looks alive, but is dead inside. How many of you have been to Europe and, and have toured some of the cathedrals there? And did you notice in some of those cathedrals, they're just incredible and they're beautiful and there's like 14 people sitting in there doing an actual service. I thought it might have been sound check, But that was... That was all that was there. They looked alive, but they were dead. And this church, if you believe the prophetic element of this, speaks of a church that started in the the Reformation that was all these great things that were happening, but they left the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit left the building, and nobody noticed, and now you buy tickets like a museum, not like a movement of God. And he says to them, the Holy Spirit, that's what you need. Wake up, verse 3. Hold fast, repent, because if you don't wake up, I'm gonna come like a thief and you will not know at what time I come to you. The, the message to the church at Sardis was a message that you can do all this great stuff, but without the Holy Spirit, it's dead. I could come in here and give a decent message that may or may not be that awesome. Let's say, let me say I give the best one I've given all year, okay? It's been a short year, but let's say but if there's no Holy Spirit in it, that's just a TED talk, and I can get a TED talk on YouTube. And TED talks don't change your heart; they change your mind. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. And I've been praying for my own side of how, like, Lord, where is this present in my own life? Of where do I? Every letter is like, repent, repent, repent. I'm like, ah, Dad, gummit. Can I get to at least one where I don't have to repent or something? And by the way, we're gonna get there, Philadelphia. There was one, but. <laughs> But that was It really spoke a lot to me of what it is here that we do that we have to be careful about because we can send all this good work into Southeast Asia. These people that are going to rescue these people in the, the Himalayas, our brothers and sisters in Haiti, if all we do is feed them but we don't bring the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel into it, that is an unfinished deed. That's not what he's called us to do. It's not either or, it's both and. We were just talking about Jean-Marie and our buddy down in, in Haiti and just how the Lord has moved in his life over 15 years. And when we first went there, I mean, he was he wouldn't even look us in the eyes. He's 17. He, that's, poverty does that. Poverty just basks you in shame. And so to the shame, of you, you can't even look him in the eye. Fifteen years later, that dude, not only is he not, not afraid to look you in the eye, he's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with you You know, when he doesn't agree with something. He's full of confidence, but he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of the power of God in his life. It is not an unfinished deed. And that's the work that we have to be aware of at not just this church of Sardis. It's easy to throw rocks at the big church in Europe and say they're alive, but but that's easy because then we don't have to look at our own selves. Let us be here at Conduit, a church that is full of the Holy Spirit. That is you. By the way, church isn't a what, it's a who, it's us. But there is a responsibility, by the way, and I was going to skip this over because I didn't much care for it, but... Isn't it funny how we do that, the part that convicts you? That's not the one that ends up on the mirror with the three-by-five card. You know, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I ain't interested in that one. All who are godly in Christ Jesus must serve for persecution. I'm gonna, by the way, a good challenge if you've been around Jesus for any length of time, go back through your Bible and read the parts that you did not underline. Um, <laughs> I did not underline this, so here we go. And the seven stars. He holds this Holy Spirit and the seven stars. And the seven stars speak of the messengers of the church, the pastors, the leaders of the church. And that tells me that there's something very connected, interconnected with my responsibility, not as lording over you. You will never hear me once ever say here something like, you are under me or under my authority. I can't find that anywhere in scripture. I can see you know a husband over a wife or Jesus over the church, whatever. but there is no, I can't find any recollection anywhere of where Jesus talks about the pastor being over the church. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's something here about the messenger that's important for me to remember the power of the Holy Spirit and to remember that where I am is in the hand of Jesus, not in the hands of you. And here's why that's important, because I could get into the hands of public opinion and change a lot of things, because it's a lot scarier if I say this. Might, and good Lord, everything I seems like I've said the past three months has made somebody thinks I'm a genius, and somebody thinks I'm an idiot, and neither are right, I mean, honestly. <laughs> but, but to remember that I am in the hands of Jesus, and those hands have holes in them to remember and remind me of his love for me, that I am safely in his hands, that is a promise for us as church leaders, as church pastors, that the power of the Holy Spirit in us is of critical importance. Otherwise, we are doing unfinished deeds, and the way this letter ends is not good for that church. He goes on to the next church. You've got power. Now that you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, have you you've been around those, maybe you've been in that church. Maybe that's your church now and you're just visiting. Churches that are all about the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? And it's usually a lot of, oftentimes it's pretty loud, um, certainly festive. Um, I have nothing against any of that, honestly. But if that's the only thing you're doing with that, okay, like a steam engine, and the only thing I'm doing with the steam is sitting in the train station and honking the horn, then I have missed the purpose of the steam. Steam is to power the engine. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit to empower you to be my witnesses. And the church at Philadelphia was a church that was on mission. The church at Philadelphia, a a Jesus person who is full of the Holy Spirit is gonna be a Jesus person who is on mission. That word Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. That's the name, phileo. It's the Greek word. It's where that comes from. And to them, he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. It speaks of a God and a Holy Spirit and that power that will open the doors that he wants open. He'll close the doors he wants closed People asking, like, you know, to you guys at uh, Conduit, and many of y'all that do the stuff that you do, how do you even find these opportunities and these doors? I'm like, I don't know, the doors just open. And we go through the doors that are open. And the danger, of course, is trying to kick down a door that Jesus ain't opening. You can He, he won't open it. You can spend a whole lot of time and energy exhausting yourself kicking a door that he ain't opening. But this speaks of a church that would have started prophetically 1793-ish, I think when William Carey, the modern missionary movement was born, the reformed uh, neo-Calvinists for hundreds of years were like, uh, if you are in India, then God clearly has damned you to hell to begin with because you weren't chosen. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying a Calvinist position, but that would have been give or take what they were doing. And, and so why would, why would I go to India? That's, there's no need to go to India. And this guy, William Carey, is over there making shoes, cobbling in England, and he's reading the Bible going, but what about this whole go into all the world and preach the gospel thing? And this guy gets on a boat and goes to India, and the modern mission movement is born. Hudson Taylor goes to China, D.L. Moody goes to the United States, and what we take for granted now for hundreds of years was absent in Christianity. And that's what happens when you love your neighbor as yourself. You are going across the hall. You're going across town. You'll go across the nation, across the world to tell them that Jesus loves them. Uh, Our friend Dana Masterson, who has been with us for years here, uh, they live in North Africa. Dana was the one, uh, you might remember, who was arrested, uh, held hostage by the Taliban in 2001. And uh, was rescued, they bring her back to the United States, they 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 throw her in the White House, they want her to get her picture made, give her a book deal, and what does Dana want? I mean, you know, she just wants to go back to Afghanistan. And I asked her, I was like, Dana, what like help help help, help me out here a little bit? I got daughters. Help me This through a little bit. She's like, Darren, it's not fair that they don't know that Jesus doesn't love them. It's not fair that these women who are wonderful people are walking around in oppressive heat with these black burkas on and they can't see and it's not culture, it's religion they're not doing it as a fashion statement they're doing it because if they don't they'll go to hell and it's not fair that they don't know, she's like I just gotta get back there Um, Our government wouldn't approve the visa, so they end up in North Africa. And they've spent the last 17 years telling North Africans all across about how Jesus loves them. And when you watch for the first time, you see a young Muslim, ask him the question, what would it be like if tonight you didn't have to think that your works would get you to heaven? What would it be like if you didn't, if there were no scales at the end of your life that weighed you in or out of heaven, what would that be like? And they say things like, I'd be able to sleep tonight for the first time, it's not fair that they don't know. The city of brotherly love, that is Philadelphia. It's the city of mission. I will open the gates and I love it because it's the power of the spirit that opens these. I don't have to open them. In fact, this is a weak church. You know, you hear a lot about the, especially on the TV evangelist, whatever, about the strong church of today and the mighty church of God and the, and it says here, you were weak. Uh, this is a church that, that you're not there. You don't have very much strength, but that's okay. In your weakness, I am strong. I'm the one opening doors. Who cares? I'll do it. There's something about that. The churches that will lay it all out there and just say, Jesus, and I. If I, I want, if anything, I want. I want this to be that for us. And by the way, of the three churches here, there's one, and we won't make a big deal out of it, but there's one line, and this is the only church. So these three churches, Laodicea, Philadelphia, and Sardis, are churches that still exist today. But this one, it says, I'm going to keep you out of the hour of tribulation that is coming on the earth. There's something to that. There's an interesting allusion to a church of Jesus, of Holy Spirit, that he would be removed before a time of great tribulation. I'm not making a case one way or the other. I think it's interesting, and I encourage you to go and do your own work and your own study and your own research on it. I just think it's fascinating. But what happens when you are full of the Holy Spirit, right? Right? You are literally power of the spirit. And now because of that, you are compelled and you're going to go on mission because you love your brothers and sisters. God's opening doors that nobody can close. The last thing on this, this last letter is to this church called Laodicea. And the thing that they were missing was passion. It says that I know you, right? This is verse 14. Uh, from the faithful and the true witness. By the way, witness, martyr is the word we get our word martyr from, speaking of Jesus, the faithful martyr, martyr, I'm saying that wrong. That's the word where we get it from, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, just like Darren and his cold coffee. Uh, which is displeasing when you think about it. This is not a pleasant beverage at this point because it's just room temperature right now. But even as unpleasant as that is, that is not what he was talking about. And by the way, when you say hot or cold, um, I know the first thing you think is Katy Perry, but the, the second thing... <laughs> Catherine Hudson. Anybody remember when she was Katy Hudson? you for Laura, yeah there about three of us remember and worked with her when she was doing christian music and we're like wait what (laughs) but anyway that was a long time ago but you think hot or cold means okay cold i'm on my way on a greased pole to hell uh, in a handbasket. i'm going all the way because i'm cold or hot is i am on fire and i'm on fire for jesus and those are the those are the two options isn't that what what you would think like that that's what that means or maybe you don't think that but that's what i thought But hot and cold are actually not actually bad things in and of themselves. Hot cup of coffee, really good. Hot shower, for those of us that have traveled internationally, glory to God. There's nothing more alarming than turning on that cold shower, Rhonda, and Haiti, right? Like, it'll wake you up so fast. But one thing that people at the church will tell you here is that I like some cold water. I do not care for the room temperature water. And I had Joel put a lock on my little refrigerator, not because I'm an ogre, well, kinda, but mostly because I was just tired of going to my refrigerator and there's no cold water in there because everybody took all my cold water. I want cold water, cold water is a good thing. I mean, God knows I don't ask for much, right? I mean, I know pastors in this town that have their own thermostat on the stage, right? Like, I, I, I'm dreaming, there are things I have in my dreams, but, <laughs> but at this point, I'll just take a bottle of cold water. Cold is good. Hot is good. It's not a one is hell and one is heaven. Because, I mean, Jesus isn't saying, I'd rather you be on, in hell. I'm not, he's not saying that. I'd rather you be punished or whatever he's saying. He's just saying, hey, there are these different ways that you serve the Father. Just choose the one that, is that I've called you to do and go do it all the way passionately. Be passionate for it. There's passion right there. By the way, just so you know, you sound of babies in church, that's the sound of life. You stop hearing babies, you better be worried about your church, okay? I want you to know that, mama. Hot or cold isn't a bad or good. It's a, hey, what has God called you to do and go do it usefully. And the danger is when you do in this lukewarm. And, you know, Jamie and I were talking a little bit this week when we found ourselves at uh, the Launtree Leadership that uh, one of the dangers from us as adults is becoming cynical. Uh, becoming like, I just don't know what to do anymore. Just, there's nothing, I feel like this isn't happening or I'm not, you know, this is what, what i meant to do with my life or, or nothing's working. So you become, to me, lukewarm is cynical. Lukewarm is saying, I'm not gonna do anything all the way. I'm just gonna stand here in the middle. And that's what Jesus is saying. That doesn't actually taste so good to me. That's just like, ugh. I don't believe this is talking about eternal salvation and I can make a case for that. We don't have time today. I don't think that's what that's talking about. But I'm going to tell you why. Actually, I'm going to tell you why, because we only have a few minutes, and I don't want to leave without telling you this. Because he tells this church, you're rich, but you're poor. Like, you're loaded, okay? And that should feel familiar a little bit to us here in Williamson County. Even the poorest of us in this room have got more than our friends in Nepal do right now. But then he tells them, so go buy gold refined in fire. How do you buy gold when you're broke? Not only are they broke, he says, if you read in this, they're blind and you're naked. So, how do you guys? I'm going to go buy gold. Not only am I broke, I'm naked and I'm blind. And the last thing you want to see is a broke, naked Darren running down Lewisburg Pike trying to find gold. Take that, TikTok. How do I get out there and buy gold refined in fire when I am broke, when I'm naked, and when I'm blind? And the answer is I don't. He is standing outside the door knocking. I don't go out and get that. I invite him in and he gives it to me. He bought the gold, he's bringing the white clothes. He is healing the eyes. All those things you see Jesus do throughout his life, those specific miracles, those are not accidents. He's telling a story of what he wants to do for us spiritually. You guys, that is the gospel. Religion is, I'm going to get the seven things, and if you made a list of seven things that you're going to go try and do really hard this week, can I ask you a favor? Tear it up. And just go and let Jesus into your life. Let him bring you the gold that was refined in fire. Let him bring you the white clothes of his righteousness. Let him heal your eyes. And that is why it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the construction project of the spirit. Because you're not in there hammering away, drilling and sawing and cutting stuff off. and all. You're literally just come into my house and eat with me. I will bring you the clothes, I'll bring you the gold, I will heal your eyes, and that is the passion that will fuel you to do the mission, the power, the purity, the truth, the love. These seven things, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, this is not just a Jesus person, this is what Jesus is like, and this is what you will look like when you spend time in his presence. I encourage you this week to invest in that. There are moments where we might have to speak the truth and it might not be much fun, but Jesus will be with you in the fire. There are moments where I really don't love that dude at all, but I need to know the love of Christ for that and to receive his love into me. I, look, I'm 49 years old and I wish that I could tell you that some of that stuff when I was 16, 17, as a man that just goes away, it don't. But that purity that God calls us all to, if I'm doing it just to check it off the list, how many? how's that working out for all y'all? But if I'm doing it out of faithfulness and love to my Jesus, it's so much different. That's a Jesus church. And I want so much for all of us to be like that together in Jesus' presence. Because can you imagine what kind of damage to the kingdom of darkness a group of Jesus people like that could do together? what what that unity might provide for us in this world. Because, gang, I don't know what's going to happen this month. I don't know what's going to happen next month. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I'm just going to be real straight with you. Ain't nobody knows. But I do know this, that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever, the first and the last, and that whatever is coming on our earth, I do believe Jesus is going to return. I personally believe he's returning sooner than later. I personally think I see things right now that are like, well, if it's not, I sure don't know what is because that sure looks like it's a sign. And I don't say that as a fear to, you know, you better get ready, you know, Keith Green or uh, Larry Norman or, you know, I wish they'd all been ready, whatever. I'm not saying it in that way at all. I'm saying it in a way of like, let's be ready. Like the, if Jesus is coming, let's be ready. Ready? Let's be feeding the poor and clothing the naked and let's be fighting for freedom for slaves and helping people who are sick. And Let's be that. I would love it to be, look, I would love it for Jesus' return to be us right in the middle of like our 100th rescue of a Pakistani slave family. Uh, I would love it to be in the middle of a place of hope and addicts be getting free and Jesus coming. I would love to be that, to be how Jesus finds us when we return, not fighting each other not bickering over things that we genuinely actually don't know for sure. It talks in one of these, two of these, actually Philadelphia and Smyrna about a crown. I don't look. I, don't, I ain't. I haven't been to Burger King in a while. Now you could look at me and think. I think you've been there more than you think you have. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'm not a Burger King guy. I just say. But the, the crown at Burger King. That's not what it's talking about. Like. There's something about this church in Philadelphia that what they're doing, that there's a reward, that if Jesus says it's a reward, you might want to trust that it's a reward. I don't know what it is, but if Jesus says it is, I'm all in for that. All in for that. I'm not doing it for it because he says that we'll actually lay those crowns at his feet. Because it was his anyway. And for all of you that have ever wanted to hear your father say, well done. You done good, son. You done good, daughter. Maybe you'll never hear that from your earthly father, but to hear that from your heavenly father will make up for a million times of never hearing it from an earthly father. Stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that those words are alive and well in us today. Lord, we want to buy. I have no money. I've got no clothes and no, I I don't have any of that. You have it all. I am inviting you, Father, into my house. Jesus, come in and dine with me. You're welcome in our home and in our hearts and in our lives today. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that for those that might even come out today, with, I, I, I can't imagine how they would, but I know how the enemy works, but with any guilt or shame from hearing something like this, that they would reject that as a message from Satan and not a message from you. You love us. You want us to invite you in. The, the God of the universe to come to my house. You didn't even ask me to clean it up first. You just want to come in. Come into our homes today, Lord. In your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.